Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Hello, I'm Bart Sheridan. I'm very pleased to be able to be the host of this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. And back with us again today at the table is Matt Bennett. Matt recently led our church in the study of chapter 11 from Matthew's Gospel. And and Matt, whether someone has been following Christ for one week, one month, a whole lifetime of, of decades, perhaps, this chapter from Matthew, I think, really teaches us a lot about God and about ourselves. Yeah. It's it's good news, uh, and it's uh, redirecting and reshaping our vision of what good news looks like. And we all need that reshaping, no matter who we are, where we are, uh, mm. what we are. I think we see here with John in particular, we're going to mm. talk a little bit about it. Mm. Even John, who was a, a wonderful man, and God, Jesus really promoted him with uh, great language he needed that as well Mm -hmm. that shaping well Matt, you you opened your presentation on sunday by sharing the the big idea of the chapter is this i'm quoting matt bennett here knowing our king is enough to sustain our faith in all circumstances and matt we've talked numerous times in the past months about the concepts of perspective and context when we're reading scripture but this big idea statement that you present really applies those ideas of perspective and context to the whole of life yeah it really does and as we were looking at some of the preaching schedule um uh, after i was gone this summer i realized i needed to kind of share my load my, of the burden of preaching, and there were a couple of blanks, and they happened to be on chapters 9 and 11, which was really important to me. I, I wanted those two sermons together because I do think they they sort of stand as two different panels of the same idea, and uh, in chapters 8 and 9, you get all of these people who are in the midst of suffering who, as Jesus points to himself as the anticipated king, right. he issues his power on behalf of turning back their suffering. And they not only see him as king, but they also receive the benefits of the inbreaking marks of his kingdom. And so it's this glorious celebration, not only of God's power, but his power leveraged in compassion. But then in chapter 11, we don't see Jesus as any less of a king or as any less powerful. And it's that same central message that he is who he says he is, right. and he is who we are anticipated, that is enough, or which he presents to John the Baptist as enough, even though John is not going to have his suffering alleviated. And so it does speak to whether we receive the miracle and we receive God's intervention in ways that are beyond natural expectations, whether right. it's uh, alleviation of sickness or something like that, or whether we find ourselves called to walk faithfully with the one who walks with us through that suffering, Jesus is enough. And it reminds me of the need to, for me to subjugate my desires, my dreams, hmm. to what God's plan is. Sometimes they run right in parallel with one another, hmm. right along with one another, but my dreams are lesser than God's hmm. plan. Hmm. Yeah. Well, Matt, in this chapter, we have the account of Jesus' cousin, John, one of whom Jesus has said, I think it's good to remind ourselves, in verse 11, he says, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater. And he goes on to say some more really uh, impressive things about John. But uh, this man who has already seen so much, John has, who's been so faithful, 
he's beginning to wonder if he's missed something about who Jesus really is. And, and we can go back to the very first meeting when John and Jesus were in their mother's womb. Mm. The the response that John has, it said the baby leapt when mm. he heard Mary's voice. But uh, by including this particular circumstance where John sends disciples to ask Jesus, are you really the one or should we, we be looking for somebody else? Mm. It, it seems to me that as much as anything, perhaps God is telling us something about ourselves because don't yeah. we all sometimes have those kind of thoughts? Yeah. No, I mean, I found this to be really comforting and encouraging, but it's also not anomalous. Like this isn't no. the one-off situation. Right. That's, this is Israel's history. God promising them that he's going to do these things to establish them as a people for his name. And what do they do? They fall away. They sin time and time and time and time again. Well, we get this manifested here in John the Baptist, sort of that voice crying out in the wilderness after long years of silence, bringing that prophetic word that God is acting to make good on his promises. And he's doing this role of ushering in our attention to this kingdom that Jesus is going to bring in. And yet here at this last minute, he seems to be having these doubts, not falling away um, and and being warned not to offend, uh, to to be offended by Jesus. Um, But again, even that language of don't be offended, don't fall away is what Jesus says to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. And they do fall away. And so there is that sense of both recognizing the mercy of Jesus to inaugurate his kingdom, and also knowing that, man, we, even in the presence of such grace and an invitation to follow him, we are prone to wandering. And so that shepherd king voice of having total authority, but also calling us back when we stray or when we doubt or when we struggle, uh, that is the role of our king. And I do take a a lot of comfort in seeing somebody like John Mm -hmm. experiencing doubt and Jesus's tender, comforting, and reassuring uh, self-identification as the one is sufficient. And and even the way John posited this question, I thought you were the one. It's almost as if he's saying, I thought you were the one. I I still think you're the one, but if you're not, let me know so I can direct my attention elsewhere. It it seemed like a real humble question, a real, and and something that I, you know, Sandy and I, my wife, we, we ask God regularly, God, it doesn't seem like things are happening the way that we would have thought. Show us. And that seeking to have a humble spirit before God, but we trust you, God. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's that's the pattern that John sets for right. us here is not to to deny that we have doubts, questions, concerns, but to bring them to the one who can answer them and to find satisfaction in that. Good. Well, that particular passage ends in verse 6, and let me read that. Uh, Jesus says, he ends his comments with saying, and blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. You reference the Beatitudes, just another Beatitude Mm -hmm. kind of tacked on to Mm -hmm. chapter 5. Let's talk about that a little further. The picture I envisioned when you were explaining this passage is that God has created a story that includes each of us, but it's not all about us. Mm. And in my mind, I'm thinking we, we each have a part to play that God has created us to play, but God, it's God who is the author. He's the producer. He's the director, even the casting director, if you will. And yes, he's even the star protagonist in the story, and we need to trust him. And that seems to be what he's telling John. 
Yeah, he's saying come along with this story as it unfolds, and it's going to unfold whether you're on board or not, right. which is a it's a hard thing because we're inclined to wanting to hear God speak about how special and important we are to the story. And in his mercy and his grace, he does include us in using us to be conduits of his important kingdom advance. But as Jesus will say elsewhere, if they're silent, even these rocks will, cl- will right. cry out. And so there's a sense in which we, we hold our role uh, as being obedient to make disciples, to proclaim the gospel, and to seek to be uh, sanctified by the Spirit. We, we hold that role as something that is incumbent upon us mm-hmm. as we've received these instructions, but we also recognize that it's a role that is not to point to us, but to point to the King. It all comes back to Him. There you go. And it reminds me, even John was walking in that situation, that uh, dynamic where he was seen dimly through a glass, kind mm-hmm. of a foggy glass, mm-hmm. but uh, now uh, at the point that his head left his body, so to speak, he was seen, he was face to face with Jesus, seen very clearly. Yeah. And uh, I know he was desiring that even then. Mm-hmm. So Matt, in, in verses 20, or in verse 28 rather, Jesus shared what have become some very precious promises to many of us. I'm sure you, I know me. Um, in that passage there, starting in verse 28, says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's face it, it's often not easy to sense that rest, hmm. that gentleness, that ease that Jesus is promising. Hmm. Can you speak to a listener who might be listening now who might be thinking those thoughts of frustration right now? Hmm. Yeah, I want that rest. I want that ease. I want that hmm. peace. But yeah. I'm not feeling it. And I know that Jesus has saved me. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think that uh, there's a number of factors going into that sensation of asking God to provide rest or respite or uh, relief from some of our current suffering, stresses, and worries, and Mm -hmm. verses that speak to rest and uh, giving up our burdened labor to carry his light uh, burden. Uh, it, It speaks most immediately, or I shouldn't say it speaks, we hear it most immediately as something that would apply to our current sensation of our schedule. You know, I'm exhausted at the end of the week. My, my schedule is overburdened with responsibilities that I feel like I'm drowning in it. And I think oftentimes that has more to do with our culture, our society, and our sense of thinking maybe that we have more to do with the advance of the kingdom than, than what we do. And so we pile stuff on and we take it upon ourselves to seek God's kingdom advance or to make sure that our our kids are walking with the Lord or to make sure that we are um, uh, making everybody happy in the ministries or the the occupation that we find ourselves in. And we take these burdens upon ourselves or uh, (laughs) as the people here who are following the Pharisees are burdened with additional senses of how they are to pursue their own righteousness. And and we add these things on and then get exhausted by them. And that's what we think of when we think of these verses. And when we don't necessarily see that alleviated, Mm -hmm. we say, well, is Jesus wrong here? What happened? And so I think it's more important for us to hear Jesus and the scriptures uh, defining what he means 
when he's talking about rest because he can invite John the Baptist to take rest even in the midst of his suffering as he walks towards his execution because he's talking about a more fundamental and eternal rest and a burden that he has come in order to alleviate by bearing away our sin in our place. I mean, you think of um, the um, Pilgrim's Progress example Mm -hmm. of Christian at the end of the day carrying (laughs) that burden and feeling it roll away, that burden of his sins that he cannot bear up under. Well, at the cross, it falls off. And that doesn't mean that the journey is over. Yeah, that doesn't mean the journey is over. It doesn't mean the struggle is over. It doesn't mean that the the labor is done, but rather that we labor alongside of one who lifts us up. And as we take his yoke on, you think of being yoked as a pair of oxen. We are yoked to the one who is directing us towards an eternal kingdom. And that in and of itself allows our temporary suffering to be put in perspective so that there's a deeper rest he's talking about yeah and as is the case with john and let's face it uh, the apostles and we know that in church history church and some of it legend i we might want to say but 11 out of the 12 suffering a martyr's death the 12th uh, didn't get away unscathed john mm-hmm. but the fact of the matter is jesus doesn't promise that we won't go through struggles but mm-hmm. that he will lighten those struggles by his yoke and that, yeah. that agricultural term that carrying because yokes were for carrying a load mm-hmm. Or pulling yeah. a load. Yeah. That yeah. was what they were designed for. Yeah. yeah. So Jesus says there's going to be a load, but I, I will help you through sure. it, not around it. Right. Yeah, that's good. Well, Matt, that, that brings us to a, a point. Uh, early in your message, you shared a personal little vignette uh, that you didn't go too deep in. Uh, for those of you who are wondering, yes, I've primed Matt. I've asked him for permission to bring this up. But you referenced in your message that you and your wife, Emily, you lost a son uh, a number of years ago. And that just, even as I say that, I start clouding up a little bit, just thinking what that could have been like, what that might have been like. Uh, young family, a young couple, expecting your first child, uh, just to set it up it could have been a time when you also might have perhaps mm-hmm. you did mm-hmm. even questioned god's plan or his ways or just god and who he was mm-hmm. I, I don't know i haven't heard this story in, at this depth i want to ask you would, would you share some of those struggles and some of those thoughts that you and emily went through at the time yeah yeah so uh it was almost exactly at a year uh having been overseas that uh, we had moved overseas to the middle east to uh, be missionaries serving the Lord, trying to seek to sacrifice to be in a place where we could be serving the king and his kingdom. And uh, we found out in August that we were pregnant and had sort of this end of the first year celebration planned where Emily's family was going to come join us on the field, see what our life had looked like. It was Christmas Eve. We were going in for the 20-week appointment, and we were going to find out, you know, the the gender of the baby. And so we were super excited, and we sat there uh, during the ultrasound and watched the nurse going about her business but not answering any of our questions, kind of totally silent um, in her assessment. And very quickly started to get nervous that something wasn't right. There was something more than cultural stuff going on. And um, she turned to us and uh, told us that there were multiple abnormalities, multiple things that seemed to be indicating uh, unviable pregnancy, and that she was going to go prepare the abortion room for the child because this one was likely not to live. And, I mean, I remember thinking uh, the the 
first thought that came to mind was everything just changed. Um, so we, uh, we told her cancel the abortion room. That's mm-hmm. not an option on the table, which was sort of our first brush with what the next 20 weeks were going to look like because she looked at us and told, told us we were fools because, you know, this child by her estimation is going to, even if he lives, he's going to suffer. And so why would we, why would we persist in something like this? It's only going to break our hearts and, mm-hmm. and his. Um, and so we, we said, well, that's just, that's simply not a choice that's ours to make. Like this is life and it's in the hands of our God. And so we went through the next 20 weeks in a haze. Um, we were with a mission board that was incredibly kind and gracious to us. And uh, the assessment wasn't necessarily clear as to what the diagnosis was going to be. And so they actually called us up. We were uh, taking classes in Prague. Um, <laughs> and so we had to be traveling about a week after we got this announcement. Oh, goodness. Uh, found ourselves dislocated with a, a bag uh, of our clothes while we were going to study these classes when we got an email from uh, our agency saying uh, some of these things, if they are isolated incidents, can perhaps be taken care of, maybe even through an in utero se- surgery. So we're going to put you on a plane, bring you back, and they connected us with a, a surgeon um, to, to possibly be able to uh, fix the situation. And, um, in, upon arrival, they did, uh, amniocentesis and, uh, determined that it was something beyond just a physical issue and that he had trisomy 18. And, uh, that is a condition that's deemed medically incompatible with life. Um, and so at that point we were at about 23 weeks and we were told it could be something that the next appointment you go to, there's not a heartbeat, a chance he could be born and live a few days. I think the longest that most uh, most kids with trisomy 18 uh, have, can exist outside of the womb is uh, it's less than two years. And so we found ourselves for about 17 weeks just in the depths of despair and asking all sorts of questions. I mean, what were some of those questions you asked? One of them was like. I mean, to be totally honest, how dare you, God? Mm. I mean, we have given up everything to follow you, and we're in the midst of a hard place where people are hostile against the gospel, and here we are stuck back home living in sort of uh, a uh, a rented house in isolation, not able to either share the gospel or to see a way forward. I mean, we may have a child with such severe special needs that we're going to be out of ministry for the next couple of years at least, uh, just physically, let alone emotionally. And how could it be that we've given up all these things for you and you wouldn't just do us a solid and let mm-hmm. us have uh, our first child and mm-hmm. to celebrate that? And there were, I mean, there were nights of anger, um, uh, lots and lots of confusion, um, and just a thoroughgoing heartache mm-hmm. saying, God, this is this is not what we expected. We thought we gave up enough for you to give us this. And even in articulating that, you begin to see, wait a minute, clearly that's not <laughs> the way God works. This isn't, this isn't a transaction. No quid um, pro quo here, right? Right. But it, it was definitely a season of saying, I don't get it, Lord. 
we're trying to serve you and this really seems like a curveball um so was was there anything that soothed your spirit um uh, what what did god do to heal you know that I, honestly it was that phrase uh, that i included in the sermon at several mm. places was just the still voice of a reminder i'm enough um and that was something that both Emily and I consistently heard like we are we are being sustained by the one who's grieving with us because this sickness, this death, this brokenness is not what he intended mm-hmm. for his good world, but it's also uh, something that he has overcome, and he's overcome by walking through death itself on our behalf and uh, to know that God grieves over brokenness mm-hmm. alongside of us and with us is an incredible salve that I think you can talk about it. But then to think in the midst of those depths of despair that there's one who's with you who is grieving but not overwhelmed like you are mm-hmm. overwhelmed is a, a fantastic encouragement. Mm-hmm. His burden is light. Yeah. He it, and, carried us in. And Matt, that reminds me <clears throat> reminds me of a passage in Job. Hmm. Though he might slay me, hmm. yet I will trust in the Lord. Yeah. yeah. The book of Job is just such a beautiful picture of that. I mean, even at the end when <laughs> Job presents his case before God and God gives him an answer. <laughs> like, he's asking a why question, right. but what he gets is a who answer. There you go. God explains his power, his grandeur, his wisdom, his strength, his divinity, and what all that means to Job. And honestly, reading through that, apart from having walked through it yourself, it it seems, it seems like an atrocious answer. Like, God, what are you doing? This poor guy is broken. And you're just talking about your majesty and your strength and you're questioning him if he's wise enough to, to bring a question before you. And yet Job's response is what I found to be true for myself of being confronted by God for who he is, trusting that he has been faithful in every circumstance up till now, especially as seen in the gospel and knowing that he speaks as a compassionate one who has gone through suffering in order to ultimately and eternally alleviate suffering and that he is not too short of arm to save and yet his salvation is something more substantial than even what I'm asking for. And so it corrects and redirects your requests there you um, go. by confronting you with who God is and what it means to be his child. And there's comfort in that. Well, and that get, <clears throat> does get back to that first, some of those first comments we were discussing, the idea of perspective and context. Mm-hmm. Perspective recognizing that I am a bit player in God's story, and my purpose is to focus people's attention on the main protagonist, yeah. the the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does the writer of Hebrews say? And, and all things fixing our eyes on Jesus, mm-hmm. the author and finisher of our faith. Yeah. If we can do that, whether through our suffering mm-hmm. or through our good times, we'll call them. And yeah. we all have more of those than we deserve. Yeah. But uh, I appreciate you sharing that story. Yeah. And I think throughout, not only knowing that you're a bit player, but that as a bit player, you are a beloved A beloved bit player. Bit player. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's, that's an incredible reality. Because yes, it is about him, but in his mercy and kindness, he is for us. 
and allowing us to be a bit player in that kind of a story. Wow. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Matt, next week we begin to tackle chapter 12 of Matthew's Gospel, and we'll be reading of Jesus' encountering more people and performing more miracles, mm. teaching more. G- give us some homework to prepare for that study. Yeah, so, I mean, as as I alluded to, we're going to start seeing a bit of a... Uh, a hinge, a shift in Jesus's teaching, his miracles, and his uh, interactions with people as the um, uh, the direction of his ministry mm-hmm. gets ever more Calvary-focused, mm-hmm. um, and he's going to start talking in terms of uh, foreshadowing the suffering that his kingdom must come through, and he's going to be rejected for it, because mm-hmm. that's a less fluffy message than uh, <laughs> being healed of your uh, your sicknesses That's and right. things like that. And so we're going to see that, and we're going to see the call of discipleship. And in chapter 12 especially, we're going to see what a serious offense it is to be privy to his word and privy to all that God has said that he's going to do and to reject what God does when he's making good on it. We're going to see that in the Pharisees and the scribes who again, are going to assign the work of the Holy Spirit to the hand of Beelzebul. And mm-hmm. Jesus has some very strong words to say about that. Yes, he does. It'll be, it'll be a good study for us. Well, Matt, thank you to you. Thanks to Emily, too. I, I know that you two have walked a path and you've your circumstances that you've shared today uh, have been a big part of your ministry. I've heard this story, little snippets, different time. Thanks for sharing it with me today. Absolutely. Great. Well, Matt Bennett has been our guest today on Digging Deeper in Grace, and we've been discussing his recent sermon, focusing on Matthew chapter 11. You can access Matt's sermon and many other messages from our extensive audio catalog, as well as recent podcast episodes by visiting gracecedarville.org on the World Wide Web and clicking podcast on the media tab. We also encourage you to share your questions and comments with us each week by emailing them to contact at gracecedarville.org. That's contact at gracecedarville.org. And please join us next time as we continue in our study of the book of Matthew. Until then, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.